Welcome to Dealmaker Diaries, where you hear directly from the dealmakers who you invest with. M&A, real estate syndication, and more. Strap in for unparalleled advice, wisdom, and insight from some of the world's best business minds with Don Thomas and G1C Group. Welcome, guys, to another episode of Dealmaker Diaries. With us today is Brandon Cobb, CEO at HBG Capital and an expert real estate consultant and investor. He has been featured in REI Wealth Magazine and Forbes. He's here to share some actionable advice about using real estate investing as a way to create passive income, how to hire A-plus rock stars and systems and processes you can use to grow your business. So let's give Brandon a warm welcome to the show. Let's go. So, Brandon, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on today. Hey, Donald, it's an honor. I appreciate you having me. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, Brandon, I know you are a busy guy. So, before we hop right in, why don't you um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to these days? <laughs> sure. Uh, I'll give you the here, and then we can rewind towards sort of how we got to this point, but uh, uh, co-owner, founder of HBG Capital, our firm assists investors to build their legacy, achieve their dreams and impact those close to them through unique real estate investments. But once upon a time, I was a medical device sales rep. So okay. young guy out of college, knew I wanted to get into sales, spent years trying to break into the industry, finally got in and I thought I had the coolest job in the world. Got to wear scrubs every day to work, got to work with surgeons, got to be in the operating room. My products were helping people solve a really big problem with their knees and shoulders. I thought it was really, really cool. I love what I did. And I remember coming out of a surgery one Friday and had a really good surgery with this doctor. It was a power trial. The hospital was trying our power equipment. This was going to be a big capital sale. And just so happens that the case that I was sitting in on the power equipment, they were doing some sports medicine stuff, which I also had. And man, that rep ticked that doctor off and it gave me a perfect opportunity to kind of slide in and get some business. So I was meeting my boss afterwards at Starbucks. Perfect note to close out the weekend. Tell him how excited I was uh, you know, about this new trial and the doctor, the, the new potential business. And he fired me. <laughs> And I remember sitting there in Starbucks with just a dumb look on my face because I was so shocked. It's one of those situations where you feel like you've done something wrong, but there was nothing you could have done to prevent it. So mm -hmm. it was really, really weird. But um, shock finally wore off, ended up being a blessing. But that was when I learned that nobody was going to look out for my financial well-being but me. You can work as hard as you want for a company. You can put as many blood, sweat, and tear hours into it. At the end of the day, the company has to do what's best for them, and it's no hard feelings. So I uh, got fired, gave myself a six-month ultimatum, ended up flipping one house in that time period. I said, hey, I made a little bit of money here. All right, let's keep this thing going. And just kept reinvesting the profits back into the business, back into myself. And that snowballed to what we're doing today, which 
the majority of what we're doing is building entry-level first-time homes in high-growth cities that are uh, business-friendly states. Okay. An interesting story. So I'm um, curious. I know I would say most people coming out of college or university don't choose sales jobs. So wh- wh- why were you interested in getting into sales? You know, you know, it's kind of funny. I fancy myself as an extroverted person. I used to be a lot more extroverted when I wasn't quite as busy. Now it's funny. I feel like I've gotten a little bit more introverted. But at the time, I was very extroverted. I loved going out. I loved meeting people. When I was 18 and 19 years old, I spent the summers in between in college at a summer job going door to door selling ADT home protection systems. And I made more money in like a few months doing that than I had doing a whole year of, you know, some part-time work at a restaurant busting tables. I was like, wow, this is cool. And there's no like management type of stuff. It was, you want to give yourself a raise, go out and work a little bit harder. I really enjoyed interacting with people. And that's how I kind of caught my fancy for sales, believe it or not, was doing door-to-door sales. Um, ended up doing building product sales, selling fiber cement siding products to builders before getting into medical device sales. I just like sales. I like the autonomy. I like helping people with a problem. And I really enjoyed the challenge as well. So that's how I cut my teeth with sales. Okay. Yeah. And there's certainly no better entry level job for entrepreneurship and sales, right? I think. That's yeah, just... exactly. All right. Very cool. So. And Brandon, I think um, from that point up to now, you've built a pretty considerable growing concern. So to that point, I mean, I, I think part of having a successful business is having a successful team. So how do you hire rock stars on your team? What do you look for when you're hiring a great team? We could probably do two whole episodes on this. And I like to go down the rabbit hole on things. My biggest thing is not to give some surface level subjective advice. Uh, I'm going to tell you exactly what we do. And I'll try not to go off on too big of a tangent here, but we're, you know, you've all heard that phrase fast to fire, slow to hire, right? Or vice versa. So we start out with WiseHire. We like WiseHire because they go and post the the job ad to all the different platforms for us and then funnel all the leads into one nice, neat organizational system. So big fan of WiseHire. But it starts with crafting the perfect description. You really want to describe the animal that you're trying to go hunt and catch as much as possible in the job description. You want to make it exciting, right? So we try to use as much exciting verbiage. You know, we invest in employees, we give back, you're part of a hyper successful team, we're growing. We really want to throw a lot of the emotional words in there that allows us to stand out. So once we've got candidates coming in, we'll go in and we'll start screening for just a brief phone interview. The the first one's very, very straightforward. It doesn't take more than 15 minutes. And here are the questions that we ask. One is what stood out most about this job opportunity and the company to you? And really there, I'm just wondering, did they do any research before hopping on the call? And if they can't tell me anything, it's automatically a no. I want people who prep before an opportunity. Because if they're not doing it for them, for themselves, they're definitely not going to do it when the, when I hire them on. The second question I ask them is, 
what do you want to get out of this that you're not getting out of your current or previous role? And I just want to see if they're just trying to just go on to the next thing. I'm listening for your t- their tone. I'm listening if they're just going to you know make something up. You can tell when someone's genuine over the phone and if they actually mean something. Next question I ask is, what do you want to get out of this long term? And this question is really designed to think, like, where do they see themselves down the road? What is their growth potential? That's one of our core values is growth. Do they have that core value? Because I want to hire people who are going to be in future positions, not just in this role. Um, I'll then ask them, what are your income requirements? That's an important one. I can't tell you how many times when I used to not ask this question where I'd be sitting face to face somebody and I just spent an hour and a half interview with them and we're like way off on the income requirements. Not a good feeling. Everyone, you just wasted not just your time, but theirs as well. So you want to make sure that the income, if they need any special benefits or anything like that. If they pass that, we move them on to the next round where they get an email from us asking them several questions around core values. And really what this is, is it's designed to, one, filter core values, but two, Give us an idea who they are as a person and and am I going to enjoy hanging out with this person every single day or talking with this person every single day? It foregoes the hour and a half in-person interview if you can just get a recording of them answering a few questions. And really those questions go something like this. You know, one of our uh, core values is extreme ownership. So the next phase after we've had a phone interview with them, they've passed the litmus test with the video that we send them and they they send us to recordings via email. We do an in-person uh, meeting and really the whole goal of the in-person meeting is to evaluate their skill set. So what we like to do is something a little bit different. We don't like to ask generic questions that they've got a canned response for, like tell me about your greatest strength or tell me about your greatest weakness. We like behavioral style interviewing. And we'll ask them questions to tell, or basically we'll ask them to tell us stories around specific skill sets or experiences that they have. So if I'm hiring a sales guy, I might ask him, tell me about a time where you got a customer to talk about their problems. How did you do it? Or tell me about a time you were able to take an unhappy prospect and turn them into one that did business with you. How did you do it? We want to hear if they've got stories that exemplify the skill set that we're hiring for. It's really tough to be as a story. You can have a canned response. It's really tough to make up. It's really tough to make up something on the spot. So that's gone really, really well. Now, we've got one big rule when it comes to hiring that we always follow, and that is we hire strategic partners, you know, not employees. So my thing is everyone works with me, not for me. And the difference between hiring an employee and a strategic partner is an employee, when you insert them in this department, they'll stay within the walls. They'll make sure it runs really well, nice well-oiled machine, and it's just compartmentalized. A strategic partner will knock down all the walls and grow it. We want people who can come into the organization and build out the department. For example, if we're hiring a superintendent and we're bringing them to the job sites and we're telling them about our systems and processes, if they can't tell us where the gaps and inefficiencies are and how we can make this better, we don't hire that person. We only hire strategic partners. So once we get through the behavioral style interviewing and they've got the core values, they've got what we think is the skill set, we'll actually do a ride along with them. We'll bring them on sales appointments. 
we'll take them to the job sites and we'll ask them to do an honest evaluation of what they're seeing or what they would do differently. We want to actually see if they've got the hands-on experience to be able to perform. Um, that weeds out a lot. You learn a lot about someone when you actually do a ride along with them. And then the final step, if we're sold on them, we do a mock work day where we hire them for one day as a test run and just say, hey, let's see how this goes. And during that mock work day, I ask them to follow up with me at 10 a.m., 12 p.m., 2 p.m., and 5 p.m. before the checkout because I want to see if they can follow directions and I want to see how they interact with the team and how they actually do. That process has worked out very, very well for us. Okay, very cool. Yeah, very cool. All right, and so, Brandon, so you, you've got a nice team and I know you guys are looking for assets that are recession-proof or recession Assessment. So can you talk about what type of assets those are for you and your team? Yeah, so there's a number, right? And we focus in the real estate sector. So right now, we want to be in the areas that money is going to continue to flow into despite an economic contraction. So in real estate, when you have an economic contraction, certain needs go away and certain needs become stronger. doesn't matter what the economy does. When you've got a virus that hits and all these people are getting sick, you're probably not going to go to a hotel, right? Money's not flowing to the hotel asset class. But you can bet that when you're at home and you're bored, you're going to be flipping on the tube and you're going to be buying movies. You're going to be going to the grocery store. You're going to be cooking more, right? It builds demand for those. So we think about it. Where is the pivot going to happen? So when you have an economic contraction and there's less money floating around and the economy's not so hot, people are pinching pennies and their biggest cost is their living arrangements. And luckily the living arrangement, that's not really something that's up for negotiation. You have to have somewhere to live. Doesn't matter if it's 1929 Great Depression or if it's the boom before 2008, you you have to have a home to live in. So when you have these economic contractions, the need to live doesn't go away, but people do pivot into more affordable living arrangements. This is why we're building a lot of first-time homebuyer homes right now. It's the most undersupplied, highest demand real estate product in the country right now. We have such an undersupply of homes that first-time home buyers can get into. It is insane. That's why you're seeing so much rent growth right now. Nobody can afford anything. That's what we want to build. And that's what we're primarily focused on building here in Nashville, Tennessee. We want to be in markets where they're high-growth cities, right? When people are moving to an area, money is flowing to that area, and it gives it a certain layer of insulation. That's one of the reasons we really like Nashville. It's been one of the top 10 fastest-growing cities the past seven years. It's a state that's very business-friendly. Something unique has emerged over the past two years. Consumers and businesses are realizing that there are business-friendly states and there are non-business-friendly states. COVID makes this very clear. Yeah. Which ones shut everything down and which ones kept it up? That's why we really like Tennessee and Florida. Yeah. Tennessee and Florida kept everything open. They didn't shut everything down. So that's another thing that we look for. Now, we like to control everything, which is why we have our own in-house construction company. Uh, it aligns the builders' incentives with the investors. So we try to control that on a micro level. But some of the other asset classes that we look at are Class B and C, value-add multifamily. 
Uh, again, people tend to pivot towards that when they're pension pennies with their living arrangements. We won't value add so we can force appreciate the asset. And you know, storage units and mobile home parks are two other asset classes that we haven't bought yet, but we're looking at that because historically those have done really well. Okay, awesome. And I know you're raising capital as well when you're doing projects. So if you're talking to passive investors, how would you explain to them simplifying the process and conducting expert level due diligence as a passive investor? So as a passive investor, you've got two big risks, right? If you're going to invest your money with somebody else and it's going in somebody else's deal, you've got the sponsor, the operator, the actual person, you have the deal itself. You could have the best deal in the world. And if you have a poor sponsor, it's not going to go so hot. You could also have the best sponsor in the world. And if you don't have a good deal, then it stinks. So you have to have both. And as a passive investor, it can be tough, especially when you're first starting out, to really know which questions you should be asking to pull the information you need. It's one of those you don't know what you don't know type of situations. I had a guy call me one time and I was just, I was like completely demoralized after the call. He called me and was asking advice on a deal that went bad that he had invested in and what he should do. And unfortunately, this guy had lent his money. It was a considerable amount of money, multiple six figures to somebody, a real estate investor. And that real estate investor did not use the money for what it should have been for. Ran off with it. Basically, he's just stuck with litigation at that point. But I you know, walked him through some points and he didn't do any documentation, right? He didn't securitize it, right? And I was like, if this guy had the right questions to ask that person before, this would have never happened. Yeah. So because of that, I actually wrote a book for, for beginners. Uh, it's called 100 Questions Passive Investors Should Be Asking Before Investing. Uh, you can go to our website. It's completely free, uh, hbgcapital.net. That's harrybobgarycapital.net. Go to the educational resources tab. You can find it there. It's completely free. I wrote that book because I didn't ever want to see somebody lose all their money again. And it's designed to help people who are new equip themselves. So that's a great resource. But being able to vet the deal itself is really important. And this can get very complex, especially with multifamily syndications and large single family developments. But the real question you really want to ask yourself and ask the sponsor is what does this thing have to decrease to for me to start to feel? And when I say feel it, when does my capital become an issue? So on a lot of our investments, I'll actually outline like, Hey, we're going to be selling these houses for $400,000. Start sweating once they hit 300,000. Right. And if we can get in and out in an eight month period, I feel really good about that. Those are some very strong margins. So knowing exactly how much the asset has to decline in order for your principal to start getting affected is very important to know as a passive investor. You want to know that in a multifamily deal, it's what does the vacancy rate have to drop down to? What are the Absolutely. rents have to drop down to? Right. Very, very simple things. I try to simplify it as much as possible. But being able to understand and get the information from the sponsor, like what's my break even point? And then at what point in this deal, what would have to happen for me to start losing money? When is the first penny out of my principal being 
at risk. I want to know sure. that. And if you ask your sponsor those questions, then you can get some very good information out of them. Absolutely. And if they don't have the answers, take your money elsewhere, right? Yeah, that's right. All right, excellent. Very good. All right. And so, Brandon, um, when we're talking about systems for your business, if you are... Um, I heard you talking once about building home systems and processes. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I'm a I'm a huge systems and process guy. And if my fiance was listening, she'd probably laugh because I try to systemize and processify our life. And she laughs because she's like, well, <laughs> we have kids. Do you think there's going to be a system and process for that? I was like, oh, you just wait. Little do of you course. know. Of course, yeah. Um, <laughs> But it's very important because without systems and processes, you can't scale, right? You only want to pour fuel on something that's actually going to burn efficiently and not get completely out of hand. You want to figure out how to contain the fire before you make it bigger, right? Or at least have a contingency plan in place. So I'm a very big fan of EOS and traction by Gino Wickman. So, uh, you know, we it, it starts with the hiring. We kind of already covered that. Once you've hired the right people and you've got the right people in the right seats, you really need to be able to measure performance. So what do their weekly KPI score sheets look like? So if you can't measure performance, you can't grow it. And then you can't grab it. You can't put a handle on it. Your business owns you at that point. I forget the book. Uh, I think it was called The E-Myth. Great story, great author, huge book. He talks about how like one business that this person owned, it just completely runs them. And then different person, same business, they run the business. So it's all about getting a grip on your business. And how do you do that? We do it through quarterly rocks. Um, our, our um, what do we call it? We do a, um, oh, it's like this meeting we'll do uh, every single two weeks where we sit down as a team, we go over everybody's rocks, we go over the weekly KPI sheets, and we make sure that everybody's rowing in the right direction. So, for example, if I'm meeting with my project manager one-on-one, -on -one, then we'll go over his KPI sheet. And on his KPI sheet, you'll see each address in the left-hand column, and you'll see the number of dead days next to it that week. We will track the number of dead days. We track how many days in behind each project is. So he knows exactly what his status is of his bonus structure at the end of the project based on how many dead days he has and how many days he's ahead and behind schedule. We'll also look at what he's focused on that quarter. Um, each person will have a quarterly rock, which is basically a goal to hit something that quarter that's aligned with the long-term vision. So if we're going into a new market and we need a new subcontractor base, one of his rocks might be to find four subs of each trade. And he'll track that every single week. He'll add the people that he's found. And so we're able to track progress at a very granular level. And that is what allows us to hit the three-year goal that's boiled down into the one-year goal, that's boiled down in the quarterly goals, that's boiled down into the weekly KPI sheets. That process has really allowed us to get a grip on our business. Okay. And... Building business systems and processes, is that pretty much the same or does that get a little more nuanced? Yeah, very, very, very similar. So I guess I sort of just described the business systems and processes and just totally, totally alluded to the, 
the whole uh, new construction systems and processes. But yeah, what, what I just described would be like a business system and process that we're currently using. Okay. And what I think most important that a lot of small businesses don't focus on enough is sell, 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 sell. So let's talk about sales and how important that is to the lifeblood of your business. Yeah. So who was it? Mark Cuban on Shark Tank. He said, sales cures all. I mean, it really is true. So we don't have a, a, a deal problem, right? We've got like a money problem. We're having to sell off or not look at altogether so many opportunities right now because we're, we're, you know, we've got only a finite amount of capital in place. You know, we're doing about 66 homes. We can build it up to about 300. And really the only thing that's standing in the, in the way is just finding more strategic investment partners. But for us, we have really done a good job of building relationships with who we've done business with in the past. So for us, our success came from reverse engineering the vision of the city and then going straight to the areas that they want to see development. So instead of getting a piece of land and trying to ram it down the city's throat and go through the trouble getting it passed, we'll go to the city and we'll ask the planning department or the mayor uh, or the commission, hey, what do y'all want to see? What's the vision for this city out here? And one, they're always surprised because nobody's ever done that before. And they'll literally show us. We want to know where the apartments are. Where would you approve warehouses? Where would you approve density, single family housing? Where do you want to see this? And so we'll laser focus and we'll go after those areas. So where a lot of people will do this big marketing spray and pray campaign, we're like a sniper. We've got a very finite amount of owners that we're going after. And luckily, we've done enough deals with some of them who have thousands of acres of land that they continue to do business with us. So we've kind of built our pipeline up. But when it comes to making first contact, the goal is to break through the noise. So, you know, there's so many ways of marketing in real estate. There's mailers, there's cold calling, there's text blasting, there's uh, everything. Right now, we're a big fan of just showing up on the doorstep because there's very few pieces of land that we want that are designed to build, you know, 30 to 100 homes on it. And that's what we want to go after. So we'll actually show up on the doorstep and we'll leave them a note. And when you've got somebody that shows up on your doorstep, knocks on your door, says, hey, I'm here to do business, you listen. You just cut through all the noise. And so it starts with really being transparent with them throughout the whole process. So we're not somebody that is trying to pull one over or uh, leave them in the dark. We tell them the whole process. Hey, look, I want to give you X amount for your home. I know it's not worth that, right? I know I'm offering you three, four times what your home's actually worth, but here's why I can do that. If I can get this entitled and rezoned, which I know I can because the city just told me that I could, then I want to get you that. Does that sound good to you? And it's very attractive to them. And we have this system set up where they're updated throughout the whole process. They actually get to learn along the way on like how to rezone a piece of land. We actually invite them to the hearings. We show them the entitlement and all the drawings that come up and what the plan is. So they felt like there's a lot of trust that's been built with us throughout that whole process. 
Um, there's a ton of little ninja tricks that we can go to on how to build rapport and, and differentiate yourself. We're a big, plan to a big fan of thank you cards after appointments. It's something that I took from my medical device sales days that no one else was doing in the real estate industry. So we'll send like a thank you card handwritten after each appointment. Um, but that's been very successful for us following that simple little system right there. Okay. And um, I know you mentioned, um, did you mention you just syndicate deals as well sometimes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's mostly what we do is we're, we're launching a, a fund um, to kind of simplify things. So it'll be in, uh, a fund where people will be allowed to invest in, you know, multifamily um, will be one tranche. You'll have a single family in another tranche, you know, storage units in another. So it's going to be pretty customized. We're very excited about it. But yeah, right now, whenever we get a new deal, we'll announce it to our current investor base mm -hmm. and we'll syndicate it and then we'll fund that deal and we'll close it down and then it's off to the next one. All right. And how, how are you, um, how do you bring new investors into the fold? How, how are you going out getting those? Is that through podcasts like these or speaking at conferences? What you've been your best, best uh, return on investment for bringing in new investors? Yeah, great question. Honestly, it's been <clears throat> delivering to past investors. Referrals are by far how we raise the most money. All the methods work and we do them all. But when you can take an investor and give them this amazing experience, I call it the investor experience roadmap. We've actually got it drawn out on, on all the things and the feelings that we want them to feel throughout the whole process. Not only are they going to invest more money with you, but they're going to tell their friends and family. Yeah. And those people are going to invest with you. So our number one most successful, highest ROI is referrals for that reason. So I highly recommend people invest in a customer experience roadmap first and build that out as opposed to lighting a bunch of marketing dollars on fire. All right. Excellent. Excellent. All right, Brandon. Very, very good. So before we let you hop off, I want to hop into the lightning round with you. See what makes you tick behind this. Behind that okay, sounds yours. good. I hope I don't get struck. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you mentioned um, some books you've read uh, earlier. So what book or books have greatly influenced your life? You know, there's so many. Uh, one recently was Who Not How. Big fan of that book. That's where I've got the strategic partner mindset. Who Not How is not just about hiring people, which a lot of people think it is. It's about the strategic partner bringing somebody on board that can grow the role and tell you how to do it as opposed to vice versa. Uh, I'm a big fan of Tim Ferriss's, uh, Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. I love all the little productivity hacks, especially checking your email twice a day and have somebody star the important ones that saved me a ton of time. Um, uh, Think and grow rich is where it all started. Great mindset book. And uh, I really enjoyed how to win friends and influence people that had a really big effect on me while I was in sales and learning that skill, which is what allowed me to propel myself to all of my uh, current um, festivities. <laughs> okay, excellent. And here's one of my favorites. So how has a failure or perceived failure actually allowed you a greater success later? You know, I I joked that I probably would have never been able to uh, attract my soulmate uh, had I not had so many past failed um, relationships. Right? You you know, when you're young, you live, you learn, you realize 
what works, what doesn't. You realize what you need to work on, your faults, if you're if you can humble yourself enough to do it. And over time, I just constantly took my failures and what I learned from it and just started building this person who eventually was able to, you know, woo my soulmate and uh and life partner. So um I that's definitely the one that stands out the most. Okay, excellent. That's one of the best I think that's one of the best responses I had to questions like that. All right. So if you could have a billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? <laughs> My partner has this saying, so I can't I can't steal it, but he says start by starting. And that's what I would put on the billboard. Because I think okay. everybody has a problem and they put all these mental obstacles in their way of doing whatever it is that they're trying to do, whether it's a goal or a dream. And man, he's just start by starting. That's what would go on the billboard. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Cause I think, yeah, where everybody's waiting for the perfect time or the perfect situation, but you just got to start right where you are. That's right. All right. Excellent. And what, what's a favorite or what's a habit or routine that you love? I'll tell you a new one I added. So I'm all about optimizing my productivity and mental clarity and energy and how I feel. So I eat just about the same thing every day. I introduce new things to it. You know, I work out, I stretch, I try to get enough sleep, got this little whoop band right here, tracks my sleep, <laughs> but I bought a cold plunge. So every morning when I get up, I go dunk myself as crazy as this sounds in 48 degree water for three minutes. And that clears any brain fog I could potentially have the entire day. And I am alive. Every cell in my body is awake. There's no gradual wake up process where you wake up all heads, heads foggy. You're not thinking clearly and you're not moving them and you're alive. And I like that. It gives me a lot more energy throughout the day when I wake up like that. Yeah. And actually that's not crazy at all because I've heard, I think I've, one of Tim Ferriss's books, um, Tools of Titans, I think one of his um, interviewees were talking about that. And actually, one of the one of the challenges I did, they, they had us take a cold shower for five minutes every morning. And it, it does wonders. I mean, it takes a while to get used to it. I mean, I think once you get your breathing in place, it's not hard at all. I think mean, that's the main thing for breathing. But yeah, though, I mean, those do wonders. Yeah, the showers are tough, man. So what I would yeah. do is I'd take a shower. Uh, during the summer, I was a lot better at it. Wintertime, mm. for some reason, it'd be yeah. cold outside. I can't do that. Water gets a lot colder when that temperature's, you know, 20, 30 degrees outside that the pipes are running through. But uh, I would turn it on freezing cold the last, like, 20 seconds and just mm. put my head underneath. <laughs> and that worked out really well for those that don't have, like, a cold plunge out there. And where where did you get your cold plunge from? Just, just curious. You know, I think it's like coldplunge.com. It's the one that was featured on Shark Tank. I got okay. I, it was recommended by Tony Robbins' book Life Force. I was reading it and I did a lot of research on different products, and this one seemed to be the one that stood out the most. Okay. Yeah, because I seen like the small sauna you can get for your home too. So it would be real cool to have that sauna and cold plunge right next to each other. That's my oh, next step. When I custom yeah. build my new home, I'm gonna put a sauna in it. Exactly. All right, and um couple of more. What have you become better at saying no to? 
Better saying no to. I, I get a ton of Facebook messages from people who are, I don't know, interested in like hiring me to coach them or asking me how to start. And, you know, used to, I would see, you know, an old, younger me and I'd be like, you know, I want to help them. But it just got to the point where there's just too many people asking. I just don't have the time. So um, I'm a people, people pleaser. I really like to make sure people have a good experience, uh, you know, with me especially. And so that's been kind of tough to, to say no to those people. Okay. And last one. So let's go a little deep. So what important truth do very few people agree with you on? Very important truth that very few people agree with me on. I'd say that you need, hmm, I think a lot of people think you need money to start a business. Um, I had money when I started my business and I, I joke that the real learning didn't happen until all that money was gone. And I had $98,000 worth of credit card debt and wasn't sure how in the world I was going to pay it off. And that's when the real learning, I think having money is almost a handicap because you're so you can, I mean, you can blow it so easily. So, uh, uh, yeah, you don't, I don't think that you need money to get to where you want to go or start whatever dream it is you're trying to start. Yeah. You should never, never let that be an excuse, especially in real estate. I think you can yeah. get so creative in real estate. With no money. So absolutely. Yep. All right. Excellent, Brandon. So um, before we hop off, if anybody wants to get in touch with you or reach out, what's the best way to get in touch? Yeah. So if you're somebody who's interested in capital preservation and creating long-time wealth, um, if you're interested in creating passive income from recession-resistant real estate, uh, I invite you to go to our website, hbgcapital.net. That's harrybobgarycapital.net. I joke that uh, the .com was already taken, and so we had to get the .net. <laughs> But uh, tons of great educational resources there. You know, we've got a, a book, 100 Questions Passive Investors Should Be Asking Before Investing. Highly encourage people to go pick up that book. It's completely free. If you want to learn more about our investing strategy and what we're looking at, um, we have another free ebook called Recession Resistant Passive Income. Breaks everything down. Again, it's completely free. If you want to schedule an introductory call, uh, we'd love to get to know you. There's a Calendly link on our website, so you can schedule it right there. And uh, we look forward to getting to know you. All right, absolutely. So yeah, I'll run all those links across the screen so everyone can see. So great. Thanks so much for joining us today, Brandon. I think this was uh, very informative for our listeners. I hope to uh, be talking to you again real soon. Hey, it was a pleasure, Donald. I appreciate it. All right, take care, buddy. Talk to you soon. See ya. There you have it, guys. Another episode of Dealmaker Diaries in the books. If you enjoy and or find value in what we're doing, please do leave us a nice review. It goes a long way in keeping the show moving in the right direction. For you investors, if you're looking for places to put your hard-earned capital to work, head on over to our website, g1cgrp.com, and sign up for our investor list to be informed of the different projects we're raising capital for that will provide you with the cash flow your investments so much deserves.